right. Good morning, Celebration Church. How's everybody doing today? Good. So good to see you all here at the full room. Welcome everyone who's uh, visiting us today, whether you're here in person or watching online. Um, I was telling people that, you know, this... uh, Baptism Sunday for me, this is, this is a, a peak day for, for me throughout the year. And um, I, I love what we get to celebrate at the end of service day with people declaring their love for Jesus. And um, I'm glad that you're here to see it. And it's going to be just a fun celebration with you all. If you have your Bibles or digital Bibles, whatever you're using to read the word on these days, um, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to spend a, a chunk of time in there today. And um, we, we started a new series t- you know, talking about using the chameleon as kind of our backdrop for blending in versus standing out. And um, I wanted to ask you a question this morning as we dive into week two of this. Can you guys think of a time where you were chosen to do something? Someone looked at you and said they, they wanted you for a specific purpose or reason to fulfill a task. So for me, I've shared before, um, I love baseball. I played baseball for many, many years growing up. That's still my number one favorite sport. I'm so excited that, to read, you know, just the spring training is happening and the, the games, the preseason for baseball basically is, is in full swing. And it's a pun intended. It's a lot of fun. But, but I, I love it. Now, I played baseball for years. I played basketball a little bit in college, um, intramural leagues, and I played a lot of football through middle school and high school as well. But baseball was my go-to. I played it all the time. Uh, my dad invested a lot of money in, uh, in gear and in training and practicing. And, and it, was just, it was a lot of my childhood I can identify with wanting to play baseball. And also, baseball for me came really easy. It was a sport that as soon as I picked it up, I, was, I just had natural talent and I was able to pick up on it really, really, really quickly and grow and get better without much practice. Now, I practiced a lot, but it was, it was a natural talent I had. Um, unlike other sports, for example, soccer. I know there's a lot of students and people in here that love soccer and are really, really good at it. I am not in any way, shape, or form. If you need proof of that, come on the Mexico missions trip and watch me play soccer. And that, that honestly is the most fun that I have playing. When the five-year-olds, literally, it's happened, dribble circles around me and then go and kick the goal, and I'm spinning in circles wondering, what just happened? It's fun. But growing up, whenever in PE in school, when soccer came along, I was not good. I had no desire to try to get good. And when I did try, I just would, all I could think of is, I'd rather be playing baseball. I want to go back to what I'm good at. But I played baseball so much that I, again, I got really, really good, and I made some all-star teams. And at the end of one season, I remember specifically, um, at the end of our, one of our last games of the season, um, the all-star coach for the entire East Bay in California came up to me. I was in a, a league called the Babe Ruth League in California, and he came up to me and said, and said hey, Dustin, I want to ask you a question. What are your plans for after the season? And I was like, well, just get ready for next season at this point. He said, we're putting together the East Bay All-Star team, and we want you to be our third baseman. And I remember in that moment thinking, you just made the best decision you've ever made for the history of baseball in Vallejo, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I remember, I remember the, the, the honor I felt. Like, wow, because what they had was they had All-Star tryouts, and he would, me and a couple other kids were bypassing the tryouts and just getting that start in those positions that he was asking. So I got to be the starting third baseman for the all-star team for the East Bay, and it was a lot of fun. There were hundreds of kids that were trying to make this team, and I got the the skip to just be the third baseman. Now, long story short, we got our behinds kicked in the tournament. We did not do well. But, But still, the experience was fun, going and being on this team. But I think the biggest honor of all was getting handpicked for that job. Being told, Dustin, we see what you're doing. We want you to do this job. And it was, it was a privilege to be doing it. It was a special feeling knowing I was chosen. 
Now, in our lives, I ask you, think of a time where maybe you've been chosen to do something. Uh, A job needed to be fulfilled, and someone came up to you specifically for a reason. Out of everyone around, they came to you and said, I want you to do this. Could have asked other people, but they came to you for a certain reason. In that moment, do you know why you were picked? Now, it could be real easy to go, of course, do you know me? (laughs) That's why I was picked. But the reality is that you were picked because you had something valuable to bring to that task or that group. You, you, you had a, a mission. They, they knew this is what needs to be done. And when they thought of you, they said, this is the person that can do it. I want them to come and help. You stood out. You were chosen. You were part of the team. And you were meant for more than just a job or task. You brought something special. Here's the reality we're going to talk about today. God has chosen us to do great things, and God chooses people to use for his kingdom's causes. God chooses people to use for his kingdom's causes, and everybody in here in this room, I believe strongly without a doubt, God has chosen you to do something incredibly big for his kingdom. Incredibly big. We've got a big job to do. And if you look through scripture, you you look who God chooses, you, you see the whole gamut. He'll often choose people that are outcasts. He'll choose people that are that are forgotten about not wanted, the, the leftover group, and he'll go to them. But on the flip side, you also see God choosing kings. You see God choosing influential people. And what that shows me is that no matter where you are in your life, God can and will and has chosen you. You're never too far on the bottom of the spectrum, and you're never too high for God to say, I won't choose you. He chooses everyone across the board. Last week, we talked about conforming to the world around us and being transformed as God defines being transformed. And and we often choose, uh, once we choose to be transformed by God, we then are saying, God, I want to be used by you. You're you're molding me and you're changing me. Now the next step is to go and do what he's called you to do. So in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, we're going to read verses 9 uh, 9 through 12. This is is where we're going to really camp out for, for this morning. So it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is a very significant passage. And I think to understand the significance of what Peter is saying and what he's writing here is that understand that he's writing this to a group of Christians who are scattered across Asia Minor doing their ministry, which, which means they are the, 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 foreigners, the foreigners in their land. They are the, the aliens in a foreign world, right? They're not of Asia Minor, but they are now there going. And and Peter's writing this to encourage them and keep them on task with the land that they find themselves in because they're facing some suffering. They're they're not being respected and they're being rejected with the message they're bringing. So Peter is writing this to encourage them and what they're doing, reminding you have been chosen for a job. There's a task you've been given. Don't lose sight of who's on your side. And I think Peter is trying to do three things that we're going to talk about in this passage when when we understand being chosen by God. Peter is reminding them. He's challenging them and he's strengthening them. And we're going to look at all three of these today, because I think if we receive each of those three calls for our life as this passage is written, we can understand that God will remind us, God will challenge us, and God will strengthen us to do whatever he has called you to do for his kingdom. So the first thing that happens here is we see Peter telling the people, he says, let God remind you of your identity. 
Let God remind you of your identity. The first thing we see Peter do as he writes, he says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I love that line underlined right there. You are God's special possession. Think about that. When, when you buy something, it's yours, right? I get to talk about this with my kids all the time. If they spend their money on something, it's mine. When I buy something for them, it's mine. I'm just letting them use it, right? But when, when we buy something, it, it becomes ours. We possess it. it is, we, we are the owners of that item, and it's, we bought it for a reason. If you were to go buy a shovel, I'm guessing you're going to go dig something. You're going to use that shovel to go dig. If you go and buy food, chances are you're going to eat that food, or your kids will eat it before you get a chance. It's going to be consumed. If you, when you, if you buy a hammer, you are either going to be driving in a nail, pulling out a nail, or if you're me, demo day. That's what it's for. It's, it's got a purpose to be used. Now, when Jesus died for us, something amazing happened here. When he died for us, it was not just forgiving of sins. There was a purchasing of you that was taking place. The blood of Jesus was, was shed as a payment for your sins, and the process didn't stop there. He bought us. He purchased us. The God we serve is intentional. The God we serve is a planner. He, he's got big things. He, he plans things out. He's orchestrating so many things to work together for his glory, and the great thing is he didn't die for us just to have us watch on the sidelines as he does things. He died for us and bought us so we could be an active participant in what he is doing in the world. He says, you're a part of this. I bought you. you. You work with me now. I have a purpose for you. I'm going to use you in amazing ways. We were too important to just be on the sidelines and watch. So as Peter's talking, he's saying, let me remind you that God has you. You belong to him. You are his special possession, purchased with the blood of Jesus, and there's something for you to be a part of as well. Jeremiah 32, verses 38 and 40 says this. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them the singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all then will go well for them and their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. You see, this, this is a promise God is making to, to all of his people all the way back in the Old Testament but before Jesus arrives on the scene. A promise that still stands true in 1 Peter as we read it because the pathway Jesus made was for all people to have access to their heavenly father. See, when God shows us, it does not just mean that we are his people, but it also means that he is our God. It is a two-way relationship. And if you, if you look closely through scripture, you, you see this trend when, when God meets people, he never leaves them where they are. He never leaves them where they are. When he meets people, no matter if they're on a road going away from him, or even they, they, he meets them on their road towards getting closer to him, he always meets them and confronts things and says, now we're going to go somewhere else, because he takes them on this active journey of work. He often has to remind us, though, in those times when he meets us, it's like, hey, let's look at where you've been. Let's look at what you've done. Let's look at your past a little bit. Let me remind you who you are and how great you are to me, and then we're going to go somewhere and do something about it. Peter here is doing the same thing with these people. He says, hey guys, I know this is tough. I know, I know you're in a land where people are rejecting you. People are pushing you aside. People may be spitting on you and casting you out, but never forget who sent you here. Never forget who is with you in these times. It will be tough, but never forget God chose you to do this. 
There will be some suffering. There'll be some persecution. And, and maybe you're on the brink of giving up. But remember, God chose you, not so that he could leave you, but so that he could use you and be with you. Remember that for us today. Whatever it is you're going through in life, whatever, whatever trials you go through, know that God chose you for this. He chose you for something so much greater. Not by accident, not by chance. God wasn't just throwing down darts from heaven. Oh, got you. All right, I'm going to use you now. He called you for a reason. He made you for a reason. He's got you in mind for a very big job. And after God reminds you, I believe, of who you are, when he, when he meets you and says, here's who you are, don't forget that, I think the next thing is great. We have to accept the challenge. Accept the challenge. I think God loves a good challenge. He loves challenging us in so many ways. God challenges me all the time in things. When, when, when things happen in life, whether I'm trying to gain control of a situation or navigate through a situation, I know that God challenges me all the time to grow, to mold, to shift, to change. And I think for us, when God challenges us, we need to accept that challenge. But I think here specifically, there's a challenge that Peter is giving the people. And what is this challenge? I think this challenge is to, it fits for them to challenge the Saturn, for us, sorry, let me start that over. The challenge is for us to challenge those around us, the scattered Christians, the ones around us, and the people who don't believe what we believe. What this means is he just, he just reminded the readers. God chose him, and he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong things, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So he's not just saying, remember, you've got a job. He's saying, hey, remember, you've got a job, and your job, people are watching. People are taking note of what you say. People are taking note of what you do. A, a, a lot of us tend to think that once we, once we receive Jesus, that, that man, man, our, maybe our lives are getting blessed. We're following God and things are going good and man, his blessing is just doing really good in my life right now. Sometimes what we can do, I'm guilty of it too. We can have a tendency to say, all right, God, you're blessing me. This is great. This is for my family. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just hold on to this blessing for a little bit. But I think what Peter is saying here is, God is blessing you guys. Now let other people see it. Share this with other people. This is not just for you. We can have a tendency to keep it to ourselves, but Peter's saying, share this with everybody. They're watching. Psalm 67, one and two says it like this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. See, see when, when we ask for God's blessing and grace, we're not doing it to just check a box, like following God, things are good, I've been blessed. I think we're doing it so we can show people there's a much better life out there. There's a God who loves you, a God who wants to work with you, a God who wants to be with you. We don't do it just for ourselves. We make our lives known so that we make his salvation known to everyone. This passage from Peter speaks about the concept of advancing the kingdom of heaven, and oftentimes, the, to simply by living a Christ-centered life, simply by saying, this is how I'm going to live my life, I'm going to let other people see that I'm choosing my best to follow God, is the best way to preach the gospel. The way we live our lives is one of the loudest testimonies we'll ever share with other people. One of my favorite quotes, I've shared this quote before, and I was talking to another friend of mine about this, and when I told him this quote, he goes, yep, heard it for the thousandth time probably this year already. St. Francis of Assisi said this, Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. If that doesn't convict you a little bit right there about just the way you're, you're living your life, man, I don't know what will. That's such a great line. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. 
And our deeds and our works, the way we just conduct our lives, are one of the biggest testimonies people will ever, ever see. Our words, our works in preaching on our behalf are saying things even when we don't say things. Peter's addressing this group of believers because, again, they're in Asia Minor. They're in a land where they are standing out. They are saying things that maybe these people have never heard about before. They are living a life the way people have never seen someone live a life before. And he's saying, remember, the way you act right now, the way you conduct yourselves among each other, they're going to notice. They're going to see it. Let them see Jesus. People are intrigued by your message. They want to see how you're going to live it out now. Actions speak louder than words. Peter throws out this challenge. Live this way for the kingdom's advantage. I believe this applies to us today. I wonder if you were to take a minute and think, who in my life is watching me right now? You'd probably come up with a list if you, if you thought about it. Who, who do I interact with all the time and who maybe just is watching what I'm doing? Parents, if you have kids, they're watching. Even the youngest kids. I, I, can, I can never stress enough how much those infants and those little babies are absorbing everything that you're saying. They're absorbing, and they're absorbing everything that you're doing. I, I hope and I, I pray that, that my kids, uh, for me, will see how I have my time with God. They'll see how serious I take my walk with Jesus and that that will bleed into their lives. I, I hope that they see how much I love my wife and how much, even if you watched my Facebook story yesterday and saw the prank I did at home, I love my wife. But I, I hope that they see how much I would give for my wife so that they, in turn, will find men one day that will do the same thing for them. Even if I don't have to sit down with them and say, hey, here's what I do, I shouldn't have to, right? They should see with what I'm doing for my spouse. Just like I shouldn't, I mean, I, I do talk to them about Jesus, and we do read the Bible, but I hope that they see me more than they hear me doing and living this life so that it bleeds into them. Even if you don't have kids, there are people that are watching. If you, if you tell someone, I go to church, or you say, yes, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, there are some people that immediately now you are under a microscope. And that shouldn't be a bad thing. It's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But I think the real turn is going to be how do we live our everyday life? What are they seeing in the way that we talk? How are they seeing when, when a problem comes to us? How do we handle it? They're going to take note. They're going to watch. They're going to observe. And the way that we respond can be the greatest testimony they'll ever see. It's amazing the privilege we have as God's chosen people to show the world around us what Christ looks like and how we can overcome the darkness and be a light in the world. Accept the challenge. Be challenged and live it out to be that living testimony for God. And the third thing Peter says is this. He says, allow God to encourage you. Do that for us too. Allow God to encourage you. The, the, this leads Peter, he says this in the end of the passage. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, and now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Peter, once again, he goes, we're going to go down memory lane now into a time of our lives where maybe we were stuck living in darkness. Um, and chances are, because we're all human, we've experienced things like this. We've all experienced dark seasons and hard times, right? But one of the most striking biblical examples, I think, of someone living in darkness and doing horrible things and then being pulled into an amazing testimony with God is when Saul transitioned to Paul. It's a phenomenal story. Saul was present during the stoning of, of Stephen. He was hunting Christians from house to house, and God intervened and literally had this meeting with Saul. 
as he was traveling from one persecution to another. He was on the road to go kill someone, a Christian. And God came and made his presence known in Acts chapter 9. And it says this about this encounter. As Paul, or Saul, near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's quite a scene. Even the people around Saul were speechless as to what they had just seen happen. He was walking in the darkness, literally going to do a dark task, and Christ met him in the midst of his journey. God not only had mercy on him, but he loved the Gentile nation so much, he said, you're the one I'm going to use to really start reaching these people. I've got a big job for you. Saul deserved death. He deserved it. But through Christ, he received life. He traded the rest of his earthly life to do that, to live and serve Christ in everything he said and did. We also, we deserve death. We've done things. We deserve death. But through Christ, we receive life. We have the opportunity in our life to live this, this life that Christ wants us to, to serve his people. And this is the kind of thing God, like I said, can do with the people that are in the lowest of lows, the highest of highs. God can choose and use anybody to do these things. And I think he has chosen all of us to be a part of it. And this is the, the kind of kingdom transformation Peter's talking about in his letter, where you literally, God says, this is what you were doing, and we're going to do a total 180, and we're going to do this now, and it's going to reach people. And people are going to see it and hear about it and know it, because it's a big work, and we're serving a big God. And know that we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved to do some good works. And the bottom line for encouragement is this. If you hear anything today, know that God can use any of us. Even if you just shook your head at me right now and said, nope, yep, God can use you. He will use you. He wants to use you. Peter makes it very, very clear. If God can take Saul and do what he did, think of what he can do with you. If God can take Saul, think of what he can do with you. God does not strictly choose and use us for our benefit, but for the benefit of those around us so that his kingdom is glorified, so that his word is seen. Maybe we've been keeping it to ourselves. Maybe we, we've been saying, you know, God, God's been doing a work in my life, but this is, this is my journey and it's just for me and God's working in me. I want to encourage you, man, share that journey with somebody. You never know what your story is going to lead somebody to understand. You, know, you never know what your testimony will mean to somebody else. Let your life be a living testimony. Let your words edify and glorify God. The truth is, there are people in your daily life, maybe even your inner circle, who do not know this Jesus that you may know. They do not know God, and they don't know how much he loves them and how much he already has chosen them to do something. They just maybe don't understand it yet. God wants to use us. He wants to use them for a higher purpose than possibly they could ever understand. But know this as we talk with them. And as we live our life in your workplace, in your homes, your circles, know that there are people watching you as you walk this path of faith. They're observing you. They're watching your responses. They're seeing, are you responding with kindness and love? Are you being harsh and critical? People notice. Are your reactions to suffering and adversity filled with compassion or judgment? Do people see joy? Do they see peace? Do they see patience? Do they see kindness? I know I said the patience word. That one doesn't rest well with a lot of people sometimes. Do people see it? Let your life preach such a powerful message that those close to you have no other choice than to acknowledge that God is there. Who comes to mind when you think about those close to you? Who, who do you think might need to hear this good news of Jesus? Think about those people. Pray for those people. 
Today after church, shoot them a text, say, hey, I was thinking about you today. Let's, let's get lunch, let's get coffee, or maybe I'll see you at work tomorrow, whatever it may be. Let people know you're thinking about them, and when you think about them, let, in your mind, let it resonate. God shows them too. God has a purpose for them. They need to see it. They need to hear it. They need to know that God is there and he loves them, and we could be the best testimony they'll ever receive by living our life in front of them. I want to invite the worship team up, and we're going to get ready for, for baptisms, but as you consider this challenge, remember this. You are chosen and redeemed. You are an ambassador of God, a messenger of the greatest news the universe has ever known. God has chosen you. People aren't flocking to leave right now. They're getting ready for baptism, in case anyone was wondering what's going on. <laughs> the same God who raised Christ from the dead will rise you up in your time of need. I have no doubt about it. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Would you, uh, would you stand with me? Uh, before, before I pray and pass off the worship team, I just want to talk a little bit about this baptism thing that we're going to do. Uh, this, is, this is something extremely special. I love that we get to do this because we get to celebrate people saying, I will not blend in with the world. I have decided this world is not what's important. I've decided God is what's important. I've given my life to him. And what we believe baptism to be here is this is an outward declaration of an inward decision. Baptizing people does not put Jesus in your heart. It does not wash away your sins, but this is the declaration that God said, go and do this and declare who I am, who I am to you and your decision to follow me. So everybody that is getting baptized today has decided that. They've given their lives to Christ and they're going to declare it and share it with us and we get to celebrate with them because this is, can you imagine the celebrating in heaven when somebody gives their life to Christ? And the celebrating when they stand and they say, we are going to share this with everyone. And I believe when we get baptized, we're declaring this decision to three different people. We're declaring it to God. We're saying, God, I am yours. I do not belong to the world. God, I belong to you. They're declaring it to the church. The reason we do this publicly is so they, they can affirm in the church. They say, church, I'm part of this. I've given my life. I'm part of your family. We're on this journey together. Let's reach people. Let's seek people. Let's love people because God loves me and I've given my life to him. And this last one, we're declaring to the enemy. There is the enemy of your soul out there that does not like this, does not want this, and we're declaring to him today, I don't belong to you. You have no power over me. I've given my life to Jesus, and I've read the end of the book, he wins. So we get to do that together. And what I do want to invite you to do, we have 12 people getting baptized today. If you're standing out there today and you're wondering like, hey, I've never been baptized, and, and you feel a tugging on, maybe I need to do this, I would say, take out your phone, your wallet, your keys, get in line, and let's get baptized. We have towels if you need a towel. We have things for you, but go ahead. I don't care if you're wearing your Sunday best, t-shirt, jeans, suit, whatever you're wearing, get in the tank, let's declare it, and let's just celebrate with God what he's done in your lives. Amen? God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you that we get to celebrate with you, God, that that. We're celebrating changed lives. God, I pray that us as a church, we don't blend in. God, we stand out. We let our lives be that living testimony for you. And it starts here with so many of us today declaring, make that public declaration that we are yours, God. So God, be with us. We give you all the glory for who you are and what you're doing. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.